People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. We are back again for Premier League Insights. Just three games to go in the Premier League season, but it's still all to play for towards the top and right at the bottom of the table. There's also still plenty of opportunity to find value in the betting markets and here to help you with the upcoming fixtures armed with the InfoGoal model is Jake Osgathorpe. How's it going, Jake? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Some big results at the weekend, uh, both at the top and the bottom. I'm sure we're going to discuss those in a bit more detail. Yeah, definitely. As you said, some some massive results for the, the Champions League and the relegation. And we had a brief chat off air, didn't we, that the InfoGoal has done some more sims and you've you've come back with some numbers on the, the race for the top four and, and who might get relegated. So let's start with Champions League qualification. Obviously, Manchester City now will be qualifying for the Champions League. We don't have the extra spot down to fifth, but... Um, who out of those teams that are still in the mix looks more likely to to qualify for the Champions League then? Well, obviously you look at the table and, and it is very tight. There's just just a point separating three teams, Chelsea, Leicester, Manchester United, and then um, Wolves down in sixth. They're only four points behind Leicester who are, who are fourth and they, they could well be fancying the chances with obviously having to play Chelsea as well on the final day. Could 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 bring them into it a little bit, but... Based on our sims, I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the fact that neither of the three teams managed to win at the weekend uh, or over the weekend, which uh, was a big surprise, really. Um, obviously, Leicester playing against Bournemouth, uh, a team that in the relegation mire, and they got hammered four-one. And more pressing, the 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 um, their centre half uh, Sonchu is suspended as well for uh, their next game, which is a tough match against Sheffield United. Uh, Chelsea got absolutely hammered by Sheffield United and Manchester United. Uh, blew a great opportunity, two one up with um, you know only a couple of minutes left against Southampton to actually jump into third. So it seems as though no one wants to finish in the top four. Um, but based on our simulations, we've we've got it as almost as tight as as you would expect. Looking at the table, um, Chelsea are seventy two percent favourites to to finish in the top four. Manchester United sixty six percent second favourites. Leicester fifty five percent outsiders um, on our on our model. So. It, it is extremely tight. I think the the fixture list is going to play a big part in in what what will happen. Uh, obviously, Chelsea have got a, a pretty much what we could refer to as a gimme in the fact they play Norwich at home um, in this midweek round of fixtures. Leicester have a tough game against Sheffield United, who are banging form. Man United have to visit Crystal Palace, um, but then Chelsea actually play at Anfield against Liverpool. Um, and finish against Wolves at home. Again, Wolves could be pressing for a top six or a top four place heading into that game. Leicester, um, they have Spurs before uh, hosting Manchester United, which could obviously be a massive showdown game. Um, And United play uh, West Ham after Crystal Palace and and then obviously a trip to Leicester. So it is all to play for. And the fact that that we have two real almost head-to-head clashes in, in the final day of the season could make it a really interesting day. Um, for all teams concerned, but as as it stands at the minute, our final four is going to be obviously Liverpool, Manchester City, followed by Chelsea and Manchester United, with Leicester just to miss out um, according to our probabilities. But because we're we're you know there's only three games left, these probabilities are going to be extremely volatile depending on results. So if Manchester United go and uh, fail to beat Crystal Palace, then you know Leicester pick up a point against Sheffield United, then Leicester's percentage chance will probably um, improve above Manchester United. So. Um, it is very volatile. I think, like I said, it is probably going to come down to that United versus Leicester game. Um, that is provided Leicester can pick up any more points because they are in a, a real bad run of form at the moment. Yeah, and it seems that there's some some crossover there with the teams playing each other in the, the race for the top four, but also some important games there with teams kind of down towards the bottom of the table who then, to kind of add even more into the mix, those teams play each other like West Ham, Aston Villa. We've got West Ham and Watford coming up this week. So that's a, it's another really interesting one. The What is now two teams left to go down from what is, I mean, real, realistically, it's probably four teams there, but you could push that up to five. So what do the what do the info goal sims say about who's who's going to go down and who's going to stay up? Well, obviously, the, the table suggests it's quite tight. There's three points between uh, Bournemouth and Watford. 
and West Ham, uh, three points separating those three teams. Villa are a further point back, uh, but our model has it pretty much or well, much more cut and dry than than that. We've got obviously Norwich are already down, hundred uh, percent. Uh, they got relegated at the weekend after a tame performance against West Ham, but then we actually make Bournemouth ninety one percent favourites uh, for relegation of, of the final two spots. They have obviously Manchester City away, which is probably the toughest game that you're going to get at the moment. Um, and, you know, goal difference could well be a factor. I think at the minute, the goal difference is quite tight between Bournemouth and Watford. So, um, you know, Bournemouth will be looking to avoid a, a really heavy defeat at the Etihad, which could really hamper them. Um, and then they've got a big game against Southampton, who were fantastic on the road. Obviously, went and got a draw with Manchester United before closing out with a, a game at Everton, a team that Infocol suggests should be in the top half. So, they've got a pretty tricky run in. Um, and, and that's why they're pretty much our favourites of the to, to finish in um, in the relegation zone. Aston Villa also got a, a, a pretty tricky run in. They play at Everton in, in midweek before hosting Arsenal, and Arsenal could well still be in the hunt for a European spot uh, heading into that game. Um, and then what could prove to be a crucial game away at West Ham. Infogol doesn't think it's going to get that far. We think that the relegation will be um, done and dusted by then. Obviously, West Ham have got a very winnable home game against a direct rival in Watford <clears throat> this week uh, before playing against Manchester United and then uh, that home game against Aston Villa. So, basically, as it stands, um, the Infocom model thinks that the bottom three will finish the bottom three. Villa at around 89% chance of going down. Um, and West Ham's recent good form, uh, was it two wins and a draw um, in the last four means that they're now only a 7.5% chance of, of, of being relegated. And Watford, their back-to-back wins last week, uh, mean that they're only 12% chance. So um, it's looking extremely likely that the bottom three, as it is now, is going to stay the bottom three. <clears throat> um, and again, that, that wouldn't be too much of a surprise. Since the restart, West, West Ham have really, really impressed, in, especially in the attacking areas. And if they continue to do so, then they'll um, they'll pick up at least another, uh, another win. And, you know, Watford... A little bit more concern for them because of the running. Um, you know, they've, they've got that big game against West Ham. But uh, after that, they play against Manchester City and then Arsenal. So they could be relying on Villa and Bournemouth basically to fail to pick up any more points um, from now to the end of the season, which is a you know a very high possibility of that happening given both teams' um, struggles over the course of the season. But as it stands, we're, we're pretty heavy on, on Villa and Bournemouth to, to join Norwich in the Championship. Well, the numbers maybe make it seem a little bit more boring and and straightforward than it than it could be, but nonetheless, there's obviously some some massive games coming up in in midweek and beyond until the end of the season. So we've got five good ones to get through today. You ready to get onto them? Yeah, let's get stuck into the first five. Right, so we got Chelsea versus Norwich, and I mean, I'm not too sure what to say about Chelsea. They've been well, they were pretty consistent all season, showed signs of becoming a re- very good team. I I kept asking you about the transfers they've made, how lot, how much further they have to go to, to challenge Liverpool and Manchester City. They are the third best team in the league based on expected goals, but some underperformance both in attack and defence could, I mean, it could ultimately cost them a, a top four spot, as we've just said. Um if nothing else, they're, they're good value for entertainment at the moment. Two three nils, two three twos in their last four games. They've either scored or conceded three since debuting that new sponsor. So I'll plug it again. That new sponsor trend could be worth a follow. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they got three or more in this game because Norwich have been very poor all season. They've they've managed to get even worse since the restart. restart. Struggles to to find any sort of form means that they've become the first team to be officially relegated, and I think that's now a record breaking five relegations for the club. And it's it's difficult to to kind of make a case for them to to deserve to stay in the league. Really, they've had seven losses on the spin now, six of those uh, since the league returned. I think they've managed just one goal in that period. Um, the weekend's four nil defeat to West Ham was another one that was very much deserved just 0.69 expected goals while giving up exactly four expected goals. It it kind of tells the story of their season. Clearly, Chelsea are going to be heavy favourites for this. It, the prices don't get much shorter than the 1.12 that's that's currently available on the market. Suggests that they have an 85% chance of getting the win. Norwich, meanwhile, they're a massive 23.52, which equates to a just a 4% chance of a win. 
it seems that betters are following that shirt sponsor trend. You can get over 3.5 at, at 1.934 at Pinnacle. So a slight lean from betters on the over there for this one as well. What are your thoughts on the game? Um, yeah, like I said previously, I think this is a pretty much a gimme for Chelsea, uh, or it should be anyway. They were really poor against Sheffield United. They were lacking structure in midfield, uh, obviously defence as well. They look all over the place um, against teams that do have a very, <clears throat> very good plan in place when they attack. Um, you know, obviously, West Ham hit them on counter-attack to, to get their win and use set-pieces. Sheffield United, actually, I thought when they had the ball, they were very effective with it. Um, and they caught Chelsea out quite a bit, but they've had issues like that all season long away from home at Chelsea. And, um, you know, at home has been a completely different story, although the, the obviously the points tally would suggest otherwise. They've collected uh, 30 points on the road um, and 30 points at home. But according to expected goal numbers, their process at home is just in a different league to away from home. So, at Stamford Bridge, we're averaging around 2.45 expected goals for, um, allowing 0.88 expected goals against per game. Now, that is the second best home process behind only Manchester City. So, that's actually better than Liverpool's at Anfield. Um, and away from home, Chelsea are averaging 1.65 expected goals for, 1.59 against, which is around about a mid-table um, away process or just above it. So, although the points would suggest that they're good both away and at home, the home process is, is in a completely different league and I expect them to continue that trend of creating loads of chances and, and conceding very few when playing at Stamford Bridge against what is a, um, a really poor Norwich team. Like you said, they conceded four expected goals against West Ham at the weekend, which is a pretty dire uh, performance, especially given the fact that they knew going into that game that if, if they lost, then they would be relegated. And I think that their season really was summed up in the last three games where they played Brighton, Watford and West Ham, three teams directly above them and almost direct rivals. If they'd have won two of those and drawn one, they would have been right in the mix of survival, but they lost all three pretty much, um, you know, in pathetic performances, especially in, in attack, creating very little. I expect something similar in this one. They've they've really not kicked on since the restart. Um, obviously, we looked at the fixture list and it, it, it did look daunting at first with games against... <coughs> excuse me, Everton and Arsenal. Um, and then obviously eased up a little bit with with three games against teams that, they, you know, they could have beaten two of them at home as well. But they, they're just, they've been pretty pathetic. And um, one goal since the restart, like you said, averaging 0.69 expected goals for per game um, in the six matches since the restart, allowing around 1.8 expected goals against. So they aren't a very good team. And, and you know, championship is, is where they belong um, as of this season. So, it's hard to make a case for them here. The only thing that they probably have going for them is, is that they can play with a bit of freedom at Stamford Bridge. They're already relegated. It doesn't really matter um, what happens in terms of whether they get beat heavily or if they can somehow salvage a point. So um, they're going to be playing with freedom. They have players to exploit Chelsea's backline, but um, it's hard to make a case given their the attacking numbers all season long that they will actually do that. So um, as you said there, Chelsea extremely short favourites, around 85%. Uh, the model goes 78%, so we're not as, as strong, um, but still think that they should be heavy odds on favourites for the game. Um, interesting what you're saying about the goals line, um, that the money's coming for the over three and a half. I, the model suggests that, that that should be going the other way. So we've got um, a 54% chance of over three and a half, uh, sorry, of under three and a half goals. So um, there's actually value in opposing the overs in this one. And, you know, I could see Chelsea winning this 3-0 quite comfortably, sticking underneath that. Um, three and a half goal total. Um, and then both teams to score. Given Chelsea's defence, I wouldn't put anyone off back in Norwich to get a consolation. But given Norwich's attack, it really is hard to make a case for them getting on the score sheet. So um, probably best leaving the both teams to score. The, mo the model can't make its mind up. It's split down the middle there, 50-50. So there is a bit of value in backing both teams to score, yes. But like I said, I, I, I tread carefully given what Norwich uh, have put up this season. So the main bet being back uh, back in under two, under three point five goals and, and Chelsea to win this one pretty comfortably. Yeah, and it's I mean Norwich are they're pretty much defining what it is to be a, a yo yo club at the moment, aren't they? And it's an interesting one that that I kind of think about is nowadays we seem to see a lot more newly promoted teams doing a lot better than than previous seasons. Like the aim always used to be try and try and be safe avoid relegation but now the likes of Wolves and, and Sheffield United have kind of moved the goalposts on that a little bit is there 
do you see anything in kind of the the way those teams approach things maybe it's financially or in terms of the recruitment or is it down to to tactics on the pitch like what is it that's that kind that's gone wrong for for Norwich this season do you think um I think it's all of the, the things that you mentioned there um I mean it's, it's easy to point out an obvious trend but both Wolves and Sheffield, Sheffield United um you know they they play in a in a three at the back system that is very rigid, very hard to break down, um, and allows uh, a bit more creativity up front because the front players, the forward players, have got a bit more license to roam around and and almost try and create chances themselves, knowing that they've got extra protection. I wonder if there's something in that. Obviously, Wolves and Sheffield United both came up through the Championship playing that system and and have carried that out. Uh, both Wolves and Sheffield United have been extremely sensible with the recruitment uh, they bought the right players for the right positions uh, obviously Wolves did it with a little bit more money in the championship than Sheffield United did but um, you know Sheffield United that, that's one of the things that's been labelled at Norwich the fact that they didn't go and spend any money they've still got a championship squad but Sheffield United's squad is is just full of championship players I don't think other than probably Phil Jagielka none of the players really have, have spent a, a sustained period of time in the Premier League so um, for me that's a load of rubbish I think that the players in the Championship um, are more than capable of stepping up to play in the Premier League if they've got the right system, right manager in place to get the best out of them. I think Norwich have shown a little bit of naivety this season. Um, they've got a lot of young players, which is something that Sheffield United don't. They're quite experienced professionals at Sheffield United. Um, there aren't too many young players. Whereas you look at Norwich and you've got, you know, in the starting eleven, you've got maybe five players at around 23 or under. Um, and I think that this is going to be a, a good learning curve for them, this, this experience. Um, but yeah, I think that they got they've got it wrong on the on the pitch. Um, they didn't really invest. I guess Aston Villa invested in the summer as well, over a hundred million, and they're they're still in a, in a bit the similar predicament. But um, they'll be in a good place, Norwich, to try and bounce straight back if they can keep hold of some of the players. Um, but yeah, I think that there was a lack of belief. Um, around Norwich and their chances of survival. I mean, you're reading quotes this week from the the chairman and the manager saying that, you know, they, they felt like they were already pretty much doomed for relegation at the start of the season, given the squad that they had. That doesn't really uh, bode too well for any team moving forward, especially in, in when you've got such a young team. So a um, little bit of negativity and uh, I think naivety as well in the way that they set up in matches. Well, one of those teams that they... They would have been trying to emulate as Wolves and, and they're in our next game for Burnley versus Wolves. Um, we'd been waiting a while for that decent Wolves performance, despite that they had a couple of good results, but they, they hadn't really shown the the attacking strength that, that complements that sturdy defence so well. They sh- certainly showed why they're, they're so high up in the table in their game against Everton. They got 3.19 XG to Everton's 0.32 and... You have to say that three 0 win was then thoroughly deserved. It was it was massively impressive. Still, as we said at the top of the show, an outside chance of a, a top four spot for Wolves, despite everyone seemingly talking about Chelsea, Leicester, and Manchester United. Obviously, they'll need a win here, and it's it's going to be difficult because Burnley have been what not maybe one of the most impressive sides since the restart. They've just been one of the most difficult teams to be. If we we can admit that 5-0 loss to Manchester City, I don't think you can expect too much more than that. They obviously had some injury problems as well, but they've they've won three and drawn two. Not exactly blown people away with the performances, but they've been getting the job done. A few 1-0s, a couple of 1-1s in there. They obviously don't score many, but importantly, they don't concede too often either. Um as we've seen over the past few weeks, the, the market, for one reason or another, doesn't really seem keen on Burnley. Um, and for this one, you can get them at 4.74 for the home win. So just a, a 20% chance of three points for them. The draw is slightly more likely at 29% or odds of 3.37. Um, and the Wolves win is just below evens at 1.925 or, or around about 51%. Um, another low goals mark here at just two goals. And the, the market, unsurprisingly, leaning just towards the over. We are still seeing a lot of action on the under, though. So I don't expect this one to tick up in terms of the number. Do you think Wolves have, have got it in them to break down that, that Burnley defence and get past Nick Pope? Yes, yeah, I think they do. Um, like you said, it was a much improved performance from uh, from Wolves at the weekend. But just want to touch on Binary Burnley, uh, which is their new nickname. 1-0-1-0-1-1-0-1-1-1. is something that we've seen from Burnley in a few periods since they joined the Premier League. Um, 
they've been really fortunate with those results. Um, obviously, defeat against Manchester City was one of the worst performances Burnley had put in for a long time, creating just 0.03 expected goals. And there has been an upturn since then. But um, according to expected points, they're, they sit second bottom of the table post-break. So only Norwich have picked up fewer expected points than Burnley in the six matches or seven matches for some teams since the restart. So the performances aren't expected to continue. Sorry, the results aren't expected to continue um, if the performances remain to that sort of level. But having said that, like you said, they're, they're extremely tough to beat. That Manchester City defeat was actually their only loss in the last 13 Premier League games, which is quite a staggering um, well, it's quite a staggering run, really, from Sean Dyche and his side. And let's not forget that since the restart, they've been playing without their, um, you know, they've been missing key players. Obviously, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood have been injured. Uh, Wood returned at the weekend. Uh, ben Mee's injured now. He, he was missed the game at the weekend and uh, is likely to miss this one. So they are missing some key players. Um, so what they're doing is is even more impressive, really. And, and it's something that we have seen a lot from Burnley over the co- course of their um, Premier League stay of the last couple of years which is just basically uh, riding the luck, being hard to beat, throwing bodies in the way of shots. Um, and obviously with goalkeepers uh, like Tom Heaton and, uh, and Nick Pope, obviously Tom Heaton has left the club now, but he he did it prior to Nick Pope, which was overperforming their expected goals numbers, which is um, very impressive. And, and Nick Pope was in fine form again at the weekend against Liverpool. So there, there's a lot to like about Burnley, but as I said, their um, the results haven't really reflected the performances since the restart uh, where they've won the XG battle only once and that was uh, marginally against Watford. So um, against a better team here, their luck could well run out because Wolves are a much better team than Burnley. Saying all season long, they sit um, they sit fourth in our expected goals table and they've performed like that for pretty much two years now, two seasons. So it's not a surprise to see them hanging around they were excellent against Everton. That 3.19 expected goals was actually their second best attacking performance of the whole season. Um, and defensively, they continue to look extremely tight, uh, just the 0.32 in that game. And, and since the restart, they've allowed just 0.58 expected goals against per game, which is the, the lowest in the league. So extremely tight at the back, um, as we've come to expect from Wolves. And another clean sheet was at the weekend against Everton. So... Um, you know what I'm going to say next is probably not going to make too much sense, but uh, the both teams to score is is looking like the best value option in this game. Um, obviously, I mentioned there Burnley looking much more resolute at the back um, and less potent in attack. Uh, I would expect that to not change, but I think they'll they'll have a go at well, at least have a go at Wolves. Uh, and the home process suggests that they they are very capable of creating chances. They're averaging 1.7 expected goals for per game, allowing 1.4. So there are chances at both ends usually when Burnley play at home and, and Wolves away from home, 1.5 expected goals for, 1.1 expected goals against. So um, they too tend to concede more chances on the road than when they're playing at home. So we could see, like I said, chances at both ends. Obviously, Wolves will have to go for it if they do want to make the top four, um, which means they might have to open up and expose themselves a little bit. Uh, four points behind Leicester, Manchester United. Both of those teams play on Thursday. So uh, a Wolves win would actually pile the pressure on Leicester, who, like I said, have a pretty tough game against Sheffield United. Um, so they'll, they'll be going for the win. I do think that we could see uh, both teams to score. The model suggests around a, a 49% chance of that happening. It's around 44% on the market. So there is a decent bit of value there in backing both teams to score. Um, as for the 1x2, Wolves are priced up pretty accurately, really. 51% on the model, 51% on the market. So not too much value there in, in, in the 1x2. But like I said, the main play really is both teams to score. The model thinks unders is more likely at 53%, but um, there is value in backing the overs if you do think there's going to be a you know a high-scoring game, whether that is a high-scoring Wolves win or um, you know a 2-1 scoreline. There is value in, in backing that uh, 38% on the market. But like I said, the main play for me in this one is to back both teams to score at odds against. Manchester City versus Bournemouth is our next game. Manchester City obviously going to be riding high after the, the news of a Champions League ban being lifted. They're still in this season's competition as well, so they're going to want to use the, the remaining Premier League fixtures to go into that tie with Real Madrid and whatever comes after that to kind of keep that good form going. Speaking of form, they've I mean they've had a bit of a weird one since the return to action. They had a 3-0 
win against Arsenal, 5-0 against Burnley, 4-0 against Liverpool, 5-0 against Newcastle, 5-0 against Brighton. I mean, that looks incredible, but they've also lost 2-1 to Chelsea and, and had a 1-0 loss to Southampton in the middle of that run as well. Bournemouth were pretty much down and out after wins for West Ham, Watford and Aston Villa over the weekend. But they, when they were 1-0 down, I mean, it looked even worse against Leicester. But that stint to the Premier League still still can continue. They, they could avoid the drop still. They managed to pull out a 4-1 win from absolutely nowhere. Um, I think this one probably a stretch too far. It looks like a bit of a write-off for them, but... If they get wins against Southampton and Everton in those remaining fixtures, it's it's unlikely, but it could be enough to keep them off. What did you say? It was 91% chance at the moment that they go down, but we'll have to wait and see for that. Um, the odds here are, are probably as short as many have, would have expected. Uh, Manchester City win is 1.157, which gives them around an 82% chance of a win. Bournemouth are at 15.62, so just a 7% chance for them. And the draw is available at 8.84, which is 11% chance. I know Manchester United beat the record for, what was it, consecutive games with a three or more goal-winning margin. I don't know what the record is for four or more or five or more, but Manchester City could be on their way to break it here. Um, The goals mark is at 3.5 and 4. Um, so you've got to assume that there's there's going to be goals in this. And, and obviously the likelihood is that the bulk of those goals are going to be coming from Manchester City. Um, do you think there's value on offer here? Is it one where maybe you have to look at the handicap markets or, or something else for betters? Potentially, but like you said, the, the high goal line there, the model thinks it should be a little bit higher. Um, we've got value in backing over three and a half um, and a small bit of value in backing the over four and a half. So the goal lines, although they seem quite high, are, are very fair um, based on what we've seen. Like you said, Manchester City have been, well, especially at home anyway, they've been in imperious, imperious form, winning their four home matches by a, a, a aggregate scoreline of 17 to nil, which is um, frightening really. And, you know, ever since the restart, they've been creating chances for, for fun really. They've, they've generated... 20.7 expected goals in, in seven matches since the restart, which obviously averages around 2.96 per game, which is staggering. Um, it is by far and away the most in the Premier League since the restart. Um, and, you know, all season long, they've averaged around 2.7. So it's not too far off there, or it's not too much more than the season long average. So we're expecting them to, to have... Plenty of fun again, creating against uh, a Bournemouth team that, although they are desperate for results, they are very vulnerable defensively. Um, Manchester City, like I said, they, they're just blowing teams away left and right at the minute. And obviously, the the blip on the on the scorecard being the one nil defeat at Southampton. But as we spoke about um, a couple, I think it was last week, Southampton actually in that game against Southampton, they actually created. Uh, or racked up more XG than they did in the 5-0 win against Newcastle, yet um, you know they lost that game at St Mary's, which is a very um, you know unfair result based on the chances created in the game. Um, and they're continuing this this ridiculous run of, of creating more than three point or well, three expected goals with a, a 4.7 expected goal performance against Brighton. And in that game, it's worth pointing out that they did concede just 0.13 expected goals. So. Um, you know, plus 4.6 was the difference um, between Manchester City and Brighton at the weekend, according to expected goals, which is just staggering, really. And, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to see something similar um, in this game, as I've said. And although Bournemouth, they, they have shown um, real fight and um, and spirit, obviously losing the first four games since the restart in, in pretty tame manner. Um, obviously losing 2-0 to Palace, 1-0 to Wolves, 4-1 at home to Newcastle, um, and then going to... Old Trafford and losing 5-2, but they fought back really impressively. They, they were the better team against Tottenham. They created uh, the better of the chances, 1.5 expected goals and 0.67. Um, arguably deserved to win the game. Um, and then against Leicester, it took a huge slice of luck from um, a poor clearance, Kasper Schmeichel, um, getting the penalty. And then obviously Solanke's goal, which led to a, a Sionchu red card to make it 2-1. Um, and then Bournemouth really did take control of the game and, and grew in confidence and, and in the end deservedly won the match. 2.54 expected goals to 1.33, giving themselves, um, you know, if they'd have lost that, you're right, they, they would have been pretty much dead and buried uh, six points from safety with three games left. But now they're only three points behind Watford and, and West Ham. And as I said, Watford haven't, haven't got the easiest of run-ins having to play West Ham before Manchester City and Arsenal. So 
even if Bournemouth do lose this game, um, one win and a draw perhaps could be enough for, for them from the remainder remaining fixtures. Um, but as I, I did say, the, the goal difference could prove crucial. Uh, Bournemouth at minus 24. Um, goal difference at the minute, Watford at minus 21. So it is quite tight. Um, and if Bournemouth could avoid you know, a hide in here from Manchester City, then I think that would be quite a result, especially with Watford having to play Manchester City as well. And we all know Watford do love conceding eight against Manchester City. So, um, you know, that that could be um, part of Eddie Howe's plan is just try and keep this tight. And if they can lose this maybe one or two nil, that'd be an excellent result. Um, but I can't really see it. Having said that, in the last um, couple of meetings, they have kept the score lines down. So you remember uh, the game at the Vitality last season where Manchester City won 1-0. It was a very famous game in which Bournemouth had zero shots in the entire game. Um, so they completely sacrificed their attacking hopes uh, in that match and, and did manage to keep the scoreline to a respectable 1-0. And even earlier on in the season, it, it finished 3-1. Um, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that Bournemouth would take something like that um, in this match. Away from home, they're extremely poor travellers, though, which is a huge issue, allowing two expected goals per game. Um, so, yeah, all roads lead to a Manchester City win, um, and it's just really how big that win's going to be. Um, 86% chance of a Manchester City win. So there is a, a small amount of value at the very short price if you are wanting to take that. But um, as I've said, the main value lies in the goal markets where um, the market's around at 52% chance of over 3.5 goals. Uh, the model goes 63%. So we're you know, almost 11% value there, um, margin for over three and a half goals. Um, it's obviously a very good bet. Over four and a half as well. The market's around 34% chance of over four and a half. The model's at 44%. So again, a huge amount of value there in, in, in signing with the over four and a half. Um, I won't put anyone off either of those really. Uh, but for me, the, the main play would be over three and a half goals um, at, at the prices. Both teams to score. I mean, it, it all depends on Bournemouth's setup really. So I would wait for, um, you know, wait to see the, the team news, the lineups for the uh, for both teams to score. The model does think it's value pre-match at fifty-four percent chance compared to around uh, fifty-one, fifty-two on the market. So uh, both teams score could be a play, but um, that more than likely is going to be uh, uh, something that you would consider in play, given the um, you know looking at the how the game is is flowing, uh, and if Bournemouth are making any effort whatsoever to do any attacking. So uh, for me, the main play is over three and a half in in what should be another comfortable Manchester City win and you did mention about like goal difference and stuff like that do you think we do we find ourselves in a scenario where it's the elite level of English soccer and a team battling to stay in the division goes into a game and just because there's so much disparity in quality the manager goes in with the approach of let's just try and limit how many we concede and they they just don't go for the game at all do you think that's a, a reasonable kind of approach or a, a potential tactic and I guess what what does that kind of say about the league do you think then if they're they're so far apart in terms of the the top and the bottom um yeah I think that the current day and age that we're in um obviously Manchester City and Liverpool have been the two dominant teams for um two seasons now obviously Manchester City racked up 198 points from 2017 to 2019 uh, Liverpool they've racked up 189 points um, so far between 2018 and 2020. So you, we've, we've got two extremely dominant teams um, compared to the rest of the Premier League. I don't think we've had two teams at this level um, or at, at, you know, that have been managed to separate themselves this much from the rest of the league, um, probably ever in the Premier League. Um, these two are, you know, they're, they're extremely good teams. They're country miles better. And it does mean that when, you know, when especially away from home, uh, you know, if, if this was at the Vitality, then I would expect Bournemouth to have a little bit more of a of a go. But especially away from home, um, I think it's probably going to be damage limitation. Obviously, given the predicament they're in, there will probably be a bit of Eddie Howe that wants to go and and, and try and get a result. But that could all change with a goal. Um, you know, if, if Bournemouth start off brightly and, and Manchester City go and score anyway after about five six minutes, then then it might be a a case of changing the approach um, because, you know, one nil down after six minutes, it could be any score uh, with this Manchester City team. And if, if Bournemouth carry on attacking this Manchester City team, they're just going to get torn to pieces um, on the counter-attack or just anyway. So um, it's a fine margin, really. I think 
I think that Bournemouth will go into the game thinking or hoping to get something. But if it starts, you know, going wrong early doors, then don't be surprised if they do try and batten down the hatches and and try and keep the score respectable. Because realistically, I mean, the the prices on offer show you that there isn't much hope for Bournemouth. They've got a five percent chance of getting a win, um, and and around ten percent chance of, of actually getting a draw. So fifteen percent chance of avoiding defeat, which is um, you know, very slim in a, in a in a sport like soccer. So, um, yeah, that it's going to be difficult for them. Whatever approach they take, if they take the more defensive minded approach, they're probably still going to get beat two or three. Um, if they take the attacking approach, you could probably get beat seven or eight. Um, given this how well this Manchester City team is playing at the moment, so um, I would say though the the only thing they have probably going for them, Bournemouth, is that given that Manchester City have already secured second place, they can't be caught now. Um, and they have got an FA Cup semi-final game up to to consider on, on Saturday against Arsenal. I, there could be a potential for um, some rotation for, for Manchester City. So you could see the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, um, perhaps Laporte being rotated, which would obviously give Bournemouth a marginal um, or a small, a, more of a, of a chance of getting something from the game. But, you know, you're relying on Manchester City's reserves, which are still pretty impressive um you know Phil Foden can come in um Gundogan can come in Otamendi can come in so th- there is that small bit of hope for Bournemouth that there is going to be rotation so you like to De Bruyne and Sterling your elite players might not feature in this game um but your question it, I think that the gulf between the teams is that big that for for Bournemouth a team like Bournemouth in their predicament avoiding defeat um, or sorry, uh, avoiding a heavy defeat is is probably seen as a decent result in this game. Right, well now we've got Newcastle versus Tottenham and Newcastle, one of those teams that Manchester City demolished 5-0. Um, but Newcastle also did struggle against one of the bottom sides in Watford at the weekend. Two penalties from Troy Deeney is, is what got Watford the win in the end after trailing 1-0, but they, they were the better team for, for most of the game. I think with Newcastle, I've been quick to point out that they're they're one of the worst teams in the league based on underlying performances. But in fairness, we have seen a bit of an improvement from them going forward. They seem to want to attack, at least for some parts of the game, rather than not at all, which seemed to be the case in the early parts of the season. Um, they're still not great, but, but improvements nonetheless. With Tottenham, there was some interesting comments from Jose Mourinho about him being able to get them into the the top four if he was there all season, I don't think that's possible based on their their points per game record with him as a manager. Let alone the the underlying performance we've seen and where they actually deserve to be in the league since he come in. Um, and we've said plenty of times just how long that's that's been an issue for them. Um, but it was a, a big result for the the fans, I guess at least in the North London derby. It was one that was deserved. It will probably gloss over how poor they've been for a little bit and it certainly means that people have quickly forgotten just how bad those two games against Everton and Bournemouth were, which like absolutely shocking. And I think anyone that says their team deserves to be in the top four after playing games like that, they, they need looking at, I think. But this is it's another one where Mourinho could probably scrap a win to make the final position in the table look a little bit more respectable. It's another one where the market is is happy to buy into Tottenham. They're they're one point eight one three now, so fifty four percent chance of getting the three points. Newcastle are priced at four point six zero, so they get a twenty percent chance. Again, going to the goals market, we're at two point five here, so you never know. It it could be the trilogy of terrible Spurs games after Everton and Bournemouth. Do, do you think Mourinho will surprise us here? Will will it be one worth a watch at least? <laughs> um, it definitely won't be the one I'm watching on on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still baffled by these Spurs prices, especially away from home. I mean, what do you say there about one point eight for a Spurs win? It's a team that's won just three times away from home all season. Um, three out of seventeen games they've won away from home, which is staggering really and they're going off so short um newcastle we you know i touched on it last week the fact that their their process since the shift to four at the back um has actually been pretty good obviously the the result against manchester city in the league ended their their unbeaten premier league run um and the game against watford was um it was as open as i expected it to be given what what watford's predicament um but you know what? Let's not 
write Newcastle out, out of this game at all. I mean, in the last eight matches since the switch to um, to a back four, they've been the ninth best team in the Premier League according to expected goals. So, um, you know, there, there is there there are some positives for sure from Newcastle's perspective, and um, you know, during that time, averaged one point four nine expected goals for, which is Massive improvement on their season-long average of around 0.9, allowing 1.66. So still marginally negative in terms of the expected goal difference. But you know, in in this eight-game period that we're talking about, they um, they rank 11th in expected goal difference and 10th on expected points. So you know, since the switch to four at the back, it has proved dividends really in terms of um, making them almost create more chances in, in matches and, and concede fewer. Who knew that attack was the best form of defence? Um, I mean, you know, you look at the best teams in the league, Liverpool and Manchester City, they never sit on the laurels and, and defend. They always attack in teams because, you know, that's that's the best way to to avoid defeat. And we, what we've seen from Newcastle, um, much more of that since that switch. They're playing, I think obviously it helps at the fact that they're already safe and they're assured of their place in, in, the, in the Premier League for another season. So they're almost playing with a bit of freedom, but um, you know the, the fact that they have got quite a few good attacking players always helps. Joel Linton obviously scored a couple of goals recently. Almiron as well has got on the score sheet. Alan St Maximan's a big player for Newcastle. Dwight Gale has, has you know surprised with a few goals recently. So um, you know all that means is that we're probably going to see another entertaining Newcastle game, which is what we all want. Really, we're, we're sick and tired of the of the boring Newcastle games where they just sit back with five at the back and, and sort of just absorb pressure and, and, you know, face loads of shots on target. So that's something to look forward to in this match for sure. Um, Spurs, as you said, were very impressive against, well, I say very impressive. They were pretty dull, um, even in a, a deserved victory against Arsenal. The XG totals were, you know, t- shows that 2-1 was a fair result. It was 2.05 to 0.72 on the expected goals, but... Let's not forget that Spurs looked pretty toothless for the majority of the first half uh, until Saeed Kolasinac basically gave them a goal um, to to bring that score level. Uh, and then obviously Spurs did impress from then on, a lot limiting Arsenal very well. So there were positives to take from that. Um, that's the third straight home win that, they, that they've had. All three have been um, you know hard to watch, but. That seems to be a trend that they, they are winning the home matches under Jose Mourinho, especially post-break. And away from home, they are really struggling. They played at, away at Sheffield United's side that were, um, you know, they were in trouble. They'd lost was it three league games in a row prior to that Spurs game. And then they, they turned up and comfortably beat them 3-1. Um, and then they went to a Bournemouth team that had lost nine in a row um, and, you know, should have lost that game at, at, creating just 0.67 expected goals. So um, there isn't a lot to like about Tottenham away from home. Um, and that extends throughout Jose Mourinho's reign, where, like I said, over overall, the course of the season, they've won just three times um, away from home. And, you know, that, like I said, they're, they're, they're really struggling away. The process on the road is pretty terrible. At 1.83 expected goals against is, is one of the worst in the league. Um, generating just 1.3 expected goals for. So <clears throat> it's really hard to make a case for Tottenham in this game, um, especially at odds-on favourites, which I think is 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 laughable, really. Model calculates that they should be around 45% favourites. So uh, there is no value in, in backing Spurs. There is value in, in getting on side with Newcastle if, if that's what you fancy to do on the double chance or, or plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap. Um, but a bet I like instead is looking at both teams to score. Um, we know that Spurs are vulnerable at the back, um, and you know Newcastle have shown that they can be, a, or they, they are being a bit more uh, attack-minded in their approach. So both teams to score looks an interesting angle. At, at models got that around fifty-nine percent market, fifty-three percent. So there's good value in, in in backing that. And if you're wanting, or if you think it's going to be quite high scoring, um, which the model does, over two and a half looks a decent price as well at around um, even money. So. 57% chance of the overs landing in this one. Um, so, yeah, but the model thinks it's going to be quite an entertaining game with goals. Um, having watched the Northland derby, um, it shows that you can have a, a game that's not entertaining, but also have goals. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see something similar in this one. 
Right, well, our last game is Arsenal versus Liverpool and we just talked about Tottenham beating Arsenal. I think it was, or it's well and truly put an end to that mini Arsenal revival. Three wins and a draw was a, a good little run of them, but it, again, it's that defensive mistake, as you said, from Kolasinac, and that's just, it's really cost them dearly. Um, they didn't create much going forward in that game either, as you said, 0.72 expected goals. And I think that's kind of the more... The errors at the back is is obviously difficult to stomach and something that needs to be addressed. But this concerning pattern for them this season of just not really doing much going forward. They're one point four xG four per game over the season, a negative process overall with the one point five xG against. It's it's difficult to see things changing for them anytime soon, and it's not going to get any more difficult than a than a game against the the runaway league winners in Liverpool. Especially when Arsenal's recent record against them, I think I, I looked, it's just one win in the last 10 league games, which is is going to make things even more psychologically, I guess, difficult for them. Um, but Liverpool haven't really been at their best since the return to action. They've actually dropped more points in the last six games than they had for the previous 29. They did do enough to get the win against Burnley, but Nick, Pape, Nick Pope made a few world-class saves and... I mean, Liverpool nearly lost it right at the end with Burnley hitting the bar. But you have to think if this was the the Liverpool of a few months ago, they they probably would have created more chances in that game. They they would have been more clinical and, and probably r- would have ran away with it before Burnley even had a chance. Um, the market does still fancy Liverpool to get the win here, though. Over fifty percent chance at odds of one point nine zero. Arsenal at twenty five percent chance with odds of three point nine six, and the draw is pretty much exactly the same it's odds of 3.98 or around 24 percent chance it's got a bit of a reputation for a high scoring game the the total here is pretty evenly split at three goals do you think Liverpool should be shorter is is this going to be the one to watch will we get the entertaining game that that people expect it to be um I hope so um but what we've seen from Arsenal since the break is that they like trying to keep the matches quite tight with very few chances at either end so if they can manage to do that against Liverpool, we should see another low-scoring game, really, from from Arsenal. But um, you know, on the you know the same note, really, Liverpool are cruising to the finish line. Um, they need three wins from the last three games to to beat Manchester City's points total of a hundred, which doesn't really look likely in the current form that they're, that they're in. Obviously, they. They were impressive against Crystal Palace to secure the title. Then they got hammered by City. They were really poor against Villa. Um, defensively all over the place against Brighton. Uh, and then the, the game against Burnley was actually one of the better performances since the restart, and a game in which they deserved to to win. Um, it just depends if, if what Liverpool turn up, really. If it is the laboured Liverpool of recent weeks, or if it is the, you know, the, the ruthless title-winning Liverpool that we've seen for the previous 29 games. So... Um, yeah, that that's what's going to determine whether this is going to be a good game or not. Is is which Liverpool turns up? Because I think Arsenal will try and do the best to spoil the game, which is uh, what they've been doing since the restart. You know, their, their expected goal numbers. You, you pointed out that they're really struggling in attack. Um, although they've scored eleven times in seven matches, they've averaged just one point one eight expected goals for per game, which is one of the lowest totals in the league in this uh, since the break. Um, and defensively, they've allowed 1.27 expected goals against uh, per game. So very low margins, few chances at either end is the way that they've been playing. Um, and if they continue to do that, then they will, you know, they'll grind out a few points here and there. But they'll, they'll also leave themselves um, exposed in, in certain matches and lose those. So playing with fine margins is always um, it's always dodgy. You know, if you get a good streak of luck, then you'll go on a good run like they did. If you get bad luck, then they'll, they'll you know they'll be on the end of three or four defeats in a row. So um, there's still a lot of work for Mikel Arteta to do. They were abject against Tottenham, especially given the fact that they had two extra days rest um, heading into the North London derby. They were really poor, especially in attack. Just didn't have any ideas. Um, surprising inclusion being uh, Nicolas Pepe. Obviously, Bukayo Saka has been playing extremely well, racking up loads of assists. He drops him on the bench for um, you know the seventy-two million pound player who you could arguably say he's pretty much flopped this season. Um, so, yeah, there was a couple of question marks surrounding the selection. Obviously, playing side Kalasinac as a left centre-half is, is not ideal. Um, he had looked OK up until um, playing against Tottenham, but I guess he hadn't really been pressured against, in any of the matches 
since the restart. Defensive errors has always been Arsenal's Achilles heel, whether that be Mustafi, David Luiz, Kolasinac. They've all done one now since the start of the season. Um, you know, there's that Twitter video going around of, of Mustafi where he's basically diving into a tackle with, I think it's Harry Kane, who's about five yards away from him and he just skips around him. Uh, and that's just typical of Arsenal's defending over the last three or four years. And I don't think that's going to change unless the personnel does. So um, there's always going to be a chance in Liverpool um, skipping past a couple of Arsenal defenders. Um, given the way that they do tend to defend. And, you know, even at home this season, Arsenal's process has been really poor. 1.5 expected goals for, 1.58 against. So negative process at the Emirates. And Liverpool away from home have been, you know, as impressive as you would expect. 1.8 expected goals for, 1.3 against. Liverpool by far and away the best team of the two. And I think if this game was was being played two months ago, Liverpool would be a lot shorter in the betting um, than, than what they are. Even so, the model thinks there's good value in backing the, the visitors. 53% chance of a Liverpool win, around 51% on the market. So there is a, a small amount of value in getting on side with the Reds. Uh, the goal line, like you said, is quite high. Over two and a half is at, at 60% on the market. The model thinks that's about right. 58% is where is where we're going. Uh, both teams to score. The market's got that um, quite short, really, given Arsenal's attacking issues. 63% chance of both teams to score. Models at fifty eight percent, so maybe value in opposing both teams to score, given given the issues that Arsenal have had um, in attack from an expected goals point of view. Uh, but then again, Liverpool defensively have looked much more vulnerable since the restart. So um, the best bet really for this is just to get on side with Liverpool. Well, that's it for our first lot of games for game week thirty six. We've got five more to cover, and we'll be back tomorrow to share some insight on those. Thanks for joining me today, today Jake. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. Thanks, Ben. And anyone who wants more information on InfoGoal, you can go to infogoal.net, follow at InfoGoal app on Twitter and download the app on iOS and Android. If you're betting in play, make sure you download the Pinnacle Live Scores app to follow the action as it happens and guarantee that you get the best possible odds. All of the odds for game week 36 are live on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly. 